You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Attacks on maritime shipping organizations raise concerns about global supply chains. Someone's pushing spyware through firmware. Someone else is messing with the heads of TrickBot's masters. A new ransomware, Egregor, shows again that a ransomware attack amounts to a data breach. Huawei may be losing ground in Europe. Mike Benjamin from Lumen on DDoS ransoms. Scott Algier from ITISAC looks back on 20 years of information sharing. And criminals give their fingerprints to police virtually. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, October 5th, 2020. Shipping company CMA CGN continues to work through the Ragnar Locker ransomware attack that hit its business systems a week ago, G. Captain reports. While CMA CGN has in public statements said that it continues to move cargo and that it's working to restore the affected IT systems to resume fully normal operations, the shipper's recovery is still apparently far from complete. This morning, CMA CGN's site offered the following updates. Quote, We have decided to temporarily suspend all access to our e-commerce websites to protect our customers. All communications to and from the CMA CGM group are secure, including emails, transmitted files, and electronic data interchange. Maritime and port activities are fully operational. We are providing alternative and temporary processes for your bookings and are committed to processing them as quickly as possible. End quote. Some in the industry, notably in Australia, have complained of hack-related bottlenecks, particularly where administrative downtime affects scheduling. In severity and potential impact, the incident is being compared by Bloomberg and others to Merck's 2017 NotPetya infestation. Bloomberg also takes note of Thursday's disclosure by the International Maritime Organization that its own systems had been disrupted as marking a new phase of maritime trade's vulnerability to hacking. The IMO and CMA-CGN attacks are probably unrelated, the timing coincidental, and neither affects safety of navigation. But they are being taken as a warning of how global trade and the supply chains that depend on it, so much of which is seaborne, have become susceptible to disruption. Kaspersky researchers report, according to Wired, that spyware leaked from the now-defunct and controversial when active lawful intercept shop hacking team has turned up in malware being run by Chinese-speaking threat actors. 
The malware they're deploying is also unusual in that it alters its target's unified extensible firmware interface. Installation in the UEFI renders this attack harder to detect and eradicate than more conventional malware. The malware currently in circulation is said to be based on Vector EDK, whose code was obtained from hacking team in 2015 by Phineas Fisher and leaked online, along with a great deal of other company information. Vector EDK has since been repurposed to drop spyware Kaspersky calls Mosaic Regressor as its payload in targeted machines. Vector EDK was originally designed to be installed by someone with physical access to the targeted device, but Kaspersky is unsure how it's currently being installed. The connection the researchers draw between the code and a Chinese group is so far principally linguistic, although even that evidence retains a degree of ambiguity. But there's other evidence, notably in fishbait and command and control servers, that points to APT-41, a group generally believed to work for China's Ministry of State Security. Krebs on Security describes, with credit to researchers at security intelligence shop Intel 471, a campaign designed to disrupt TrickBot. On September 22nd and again on October 1st, someone sent bogus configuration files to TrickBot-infected devices, effectively disrupting the botnet's command and control. Who's responsible is unknown, disgruntled insider, competing criminal gang, law enforcement or intelligence agencies or vigilantes are all possibilities. TrickBot is closely associated with the gang that runs Ryuk Ransomware. The effect of the disruption, Krebs says, seems for the most part to have been to enrage the hoods as they chatter in their markets, which many of them are woofing their intent of upping their ransom demands and so forth. The story is still developing. Who's messing with TrickBot remains to be seen. AppGate Labs have analyzed a new strain of ransomware, Egregor. The researchers think it looks like a Sekhmet spinoff, and they note that Egregor has been following the recent, now routine, ransomware trend of stealing information before it's encrypted, the better to yield leverage over the victim and diversify the illicit revenue stream. We'll unfortunately probably hear more of Egregor in the near future. The Wall Street Journal sees the international mood shifting against Huawei as Germany moves toward restricting the Shenzhen company's participation in its 5G infrastructure. Other European nations are also shying away from Huawei. Sky News summarizes a report from the UK's Huawei Oversight Group to the effect that GCHQ had discovered what it characterized as nationally significant vulnerabilities in Huawei kit. Nikkei Asia reports that Greece is also joining the anti-Huawei camp. If it's true that all politics is local, it might be equally said that all conflict is regional. Greece is apparently motivated by tensions with its inveterate rival Turkey to move closer to the U.S. in its own security policies. And finally, Forbes calls a dark trace reminiscence of a hacker it once tracked as exposing the world's dumbest hacker. Back in 2018, Darktrace was monitoring an attempt to gain access to a luxury goods company. The attackers had gained the ability to exploit a fingerprint scanner, and so far, so good, from the crook's point of view at least. But then it occurred to the criminal masterminds that what they should do to gain access was upload their own fingerprints to the database the scanning system used, while deleting other legitimate fingerprints. 
Darktrace AI, of course, noticed the changes. Good idea, peeps. Give the cops your fingerprints. Not all online criminals are Lex Luthor or Professor Moriarty, are they? Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. It has been reported by many, and on this one I have to agree personally, that since the pandemic started, many people's sense of time has been distorted. It's not uncommon to see someone quip on Twitter that, man, last week was the longest month of my life. It is in that context that Scott Algier joins us. He's executive director of the ITISAC, and they are marking 20 years of information sharing, In the cyber world, that is a long time, and it's an achievement worth celebrating. The concepts of the uh, ISACs, Information Sharing and Analysis Centers, originated back in the late 90s, uh, the PDD-63 with President Clinton. And the idea was we wanted a way for the critical infrastructure owners and operators to share threat information with each other, both from a cyber perspective as well as physical security. And the whole concept back then was that the critical infrastructures are owned and operated by the private sector, uh, but there's a national security component to securing them as well. It's, It's important for the government from a national security perspective that they be secured. So the concept was to figure out a way to get industry and government to share information uh, with each other. And the way to do this was to set up industry-specific forms for private sector information sharing and then connect those forms to government um, organizations. And since then, the information sharing community has, has grown. Back in 2000, uh, there were two or three information sharing organizations And now there are some 26 uh, organizations that belong just to the National Council of ISACs. And there are uh, probably dozens of more information sharing organizations throughout the country that are operating independently and on on their own. Where do you suppose we're headed? What's the future of ISACs? Well, I think with the future of the ISACs is a couple of things. Number one is we need to continue to help make sense of the information we're providing to the members, right? So I think... 
the ISACs or will continue to focus on information sharing, but I think we're seeing more and more uh, of the ISACs devoting resources to the analysis components, helping members uh, make sense of what's being shared, helping to prioritize uh, the information. Uh, I think the other area where the ISACs are looking for, are looking to enhance their capabilities is this collaboration, which also helps with the analysis, right? So one of the things we're talking about within uh, within the IT ISAC is uh, we're, there's a lot of our member companies are monitoring some of the same actors, which is great. Um, but is there a way that we can free up some resources by um, having some other member companies take uh, other actors, right? So let's, let's monitor... Uh, other actors, and then bring the analysis from those actors into the larger uh, ISAC community. So instead of having the you know, multiple companies focus on the same actors, is there a way that we can spread out the analytical resources and the analytical capacity where we can look at more actors and then share the analysis from that member company across to the uh, other, other members within the ISACs? That's Scott Algier from the IT ISAC. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Mike Benjamin. He's the head of Black Lotus Labs, which... Used to be under the company known as CenturyLink, but Mike, there's been a name change there. Before we dig into today's topic, can you give us a, a quick little update there? Yeah, absolutely. So on uh, September 14th, the company is now changing its name to Lumen Technologies. And it's really an acknowledgement of all the technology we've been working so hard on for the last 10 years to help our customers with networks and compute and security. And talking a bit more about where we're going to take that technology platform to the future and to help our customers build their technology and really deal with this new world of data and analytics and robotics. It's really an exciting place to bring our technology to our customers. All right. So CenturyLink is now Lumen. Well, I hope the uh, transition goes well. Uh, our topic for today is DDoS ransoms. Now, that's an interesting uh, combination of a couple of things there. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I think everybody is familiar with ransomware. And, you know, general concept is they take away your files and then demand money to get it back. So in the DDoS ransom space, the threat is they're going to take away your internet connection. Now, mm -hmm. In some cases, they will knock it offline for a couple minutes as a warning shot to prove that you should pay the ransom. And other times, it's no more than just an email saying, pay us some money, and then we'll do it. And so it varies in sophistication, but the general premise is we're going to knock you off the internet if you don't give us some amount of money. 
And what, what sort of uh, ransom notes are they sending out here? How how menacing are they being? I, so this has been going on for a number of years, and they, and they vary in level of sophistication. The the latest wave that we've seen uh, uses two names that they've used for a while. They use the names Armada Collective and Fancy Bear. Now, mm. the latter obviously referencing uh, a nation state actor group from Russia. We don't have any reason to believe they're actually associated with the Russian government. They just like the name. It sounds <laughs> menacing, like you said. So the notes uh, on the more sophisticated side will be uh, delivered in line with an actual attack, and they will actually list components of the uh, potential victim infrastructure and say, we're going to attack you at these exact places, thus sharing that they've done their homework, they know about the organization, and that there's a real reason to have fear. On the low end of sophistication side, they'll reuse Bitcoin wallets, they'll list nothing, and they'll just spam email out. So it does vary in terms of how much homework the actors do. Um, but when they do attack, we've seen attacks of over 100 gigabit. So their attacks here in the last few weeks have not been nothing. Of course, in many cases, 100 gigabit can be absorbed by the right protections in place. Um, but for those that don't have mitigations in place, that's a lot of traffic and can absolutely impact infrastructure. Hmm. If you find yourself receiving, you know, one of these warnings, one of these threats, I mean, is this the kind of thing where you could go and, and order yourself up some DDoS mitigation? Yeah, absolutely. Especially at volumes of 100 gigabit, DDoS mitigation will take care of that. Uh, it, it's also important to note the actual attack types they're using are UDP reflection and amplification. So uh, for those that aren't familiar, effectively, they spoof the origin of a packet to, say, an open NTP server. And when the NTP server responds, it responds with a larger data volume than the request, thus amplifying the request data. And they send it to the, where the spoofed packet says it came from, which is really the victim. And so they bounce it off there. Now, the nice part from a DDoS mitigation perspective is a lot of these protocols aren't widely used by companies or even home users. SSDP is not widely used across the WAN of the internet. Even NTP, where it is widely used, it's okay if you filter it for a few minutes in general while an attack's going on. The only one that gets kind of sticky is DNS, where you really do need DNS to you know, do your day-to-day -day browsing or run your business. Uh, so when they use DNS, it gets a little more difficult, but there's relatively easy ways in order to stop a uh, UDP-based DNS attack by using it to flip to TCP and other staple things where spoofing is no longer an option. So what are your recommendations here? If, if I get a, a ransom note like this uh, in my inbox, what should my course of action be? Well, the, the question we always get asked is, should you pay? And so I will give my opinion for a moment here, which is no. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, the, the recommendation here is in the security market, everybody here is trying to raise the cost of an actor being successful. We want to make it harder. Therefore, they can be successful less often and less people will enter that trade. And so by paying them, we're, we're doing, we're going the wrong direction, so to speak, in regards to raising the cost for an actor. And so the other thing to keep in mind is if you follow the ransomware market, they've become rather sophisticated with their customer service and their predictability to payment. They've almost become a business. Now, I, I again, don't recommend paying in the ransomware space, but if with the right ransomware actor, you do have a certain predictability to the fact you're going to get your files back. In this space, the DDoS actors are in a position where generally they're not really knocking people offline. A lot of times they don't even follow up on their threats. And so mm -hmm. there's even less of a reason to make that payment. So really what my suggestion would be, 
Make sure you understand how you're protected. Make sure that things are either in highly distributed environments where attacking them is difficult or that there is a DDoS mitigation of some sort in front of that asset that can't be highly distributed. And work with other people in the industry to, to help find who these folks are and let's lessen their ability to make those attacks happen. All right. Well, good advice there. Mike Benjamin, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Plus, there are two scoops of raisins in every box. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Huh? I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks, where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K Cyberwire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. 
With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 